Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings listeners. We are so grateful. So many of you turn to us to preview every day's action at the year's final slam. But if you are ready to put your own tennis knowledge to the test, the DraftKings Sportsbook is the place for you. You're going to go there today and place a $1 bet using our promo code AOD. You're going to get $100 in free bets to use however you'd like, whether it be on this 2022 U.S. Open. Maybe you're gearing up for the start of of football season, whether that be the NFL or the traditional football, European soccer, whatever it may be, when you are ready to get in on the action, the DraftKings Sportsbook is there for you. Again, use our promo code AOD, place a $1 bet, get $100 in free wagers. We are so grateful to have DraftKings back on our team here at Cracked Rackets. I will also say to start today's show, I'm feeling chippy. And it's not because of our overall record on this Ace of the Day segment for the 2022 U.S. Open. It's because the tennis on day six was simply sensational. And whether it be the Andre Rublev-Denis Shapovalov five-set match, whether it be the chess match that was Carlos Alcaraz taking on Jensen Brooksby, the women's matches we had in the morning, Jessica Pagula finally pushed two three-sets, Petra Kvitova, Garbine Muguruza going to a deciding tiebreak. It was was a delightful Saturday, I think, for tennis fans everywhere. I will say personally to have my Michigan Wolverines back at the big house on the field to see them cruise the way they did over Colorado State. Just plenty of things to enjoy as a sports fan, as a tennis fan. I'm feeling good going into this segment. I feel like it's always good when you're feeling good before you offer a picks, particularly at this stage of a Grand Slam event. Day seven mean it's the start of fourth round play at the 2022 U.S. Open. We've gone from 64 single matches a day, singles matches. We're going to get to plurals and learn how to speak English eventually here at Crack Rackets, but we've got eight singles matches on Sunday. Very manageable. You feel like you should watch at least 20 minutes, maybe even a set of each of the matches as they unfold throughout the day, and as we start round number four, it means we've gotten to see each of these players play at least twice, but for most of them, three matches. And as such, we just have more data accumulated. We can not only turn to the numbers, we have the eye test now that we feel like we can bank on as well. Glass is half full, as always, to start this GSP Ace of the Day segment. And what I want to do, as always, is run you through my picks. I've got two aces on day number seven, of course. I also run a want to, again, we're going to learn how to speak English at some point here at Cracked Rackets, but leave it in. I want to run you all through the day's matches. We've got, again, eight 
fourth round matches, four on the men's side, four on the women's, even if I'm not offering a formal ace of the day pick on a match. Now that it is a manageable number, I should be able to offer at least a minute, if not two, my thoughts on each of Sunday's matches. With that said, via our friends at DraftKings, let's get into it. My aces of the day on day number seven. Let's start with Matteo Berrettini, who has been about as sure of a thing at the majors as you're going to find on the ATP Tour outside, of course, of Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. Simply put, Matteo Berrettini does not lose to players he's not supposed to lose to at the majors over the course of the past four seasons. You look for Berrettini since the start of 2019. Matteo Berrettini, 39-11 and 11 overall at the majors. Now, this means this is his 12th slam he's playing here at the U.S. Open since the start of 2019. You look for him in terms of fourth round appearances. He's now in his seventh fourth round in those 12 total majors. That's pretty darn efficient for Matteo Berrettini outside of Djokovic, Nadal, who aren't that much ahead of Berrettini and might actually be around that seven number given Djokovic's absences this year, Nadal's injuries and choices to skip the U.S. Open over the course of the past few seasons. But, you know, it's a top 10 number amongst current ATP players over the last 12 slams for Berrettini to have seven fourth round appearances speaks to his efficiency. You look for Matteo Berrettini. I mentioned that 39 and 11 record overall for him during this stretch of time against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Matteo Berrettini is 34 and three. He hasn't lost a match to a player ranked outside the top 20 at a Grand Slam event since losing to Daniel Altmaier in the third round of the 2020 Roland Garros. And I would throw that match out the window because that Roland Garros happened, what, three weeks after the U.S. Open and the abbreviated clay court season wasn't the best preparation for anyone. Now, again, it's one loss in 37 matches and three total losses, so you don't even have to throw it out. That 35-3 and record speaks for itself. And for Matteo Berrettini, he's won his last 14 matches against players ranked outside the top 20 at slams. You know, again, the three losses, Eltmeyer, Sandgren in five sets, and Kasper Root at the 2019 French Open. Obviously, that's a loss that has appreciated in value. Matteo Berrettini beats who he's supposed to beat. His last four losses at the majors, Nadal, Djokovic, Djokovic, Djokovic. I mean, come on now. Had Matteo Berrettini been one of the players who was able to play this 2022 Wimbledon, he was on the shortlist. It was Djokovic, Berrettini, and everyone's top three contenders for the 2022 Wimbledon crown. And obviously, COVID kept him out of that 2022 Wimbledon, but you know injuries kept him out of the French Open. But let's not forget, he was a semifinalist at the Australian Open before getting knocked out in four tight sets by Nadal. You look for Berrettini here at this U.S. Open hadn't played his best to start the tournament. Yeah, he got a straight set win over Nicolas Yari, but he was just better at plus one tennis in that opening match and then was lucky to escape in four sets against Hugo Grenier, uh, Grenier, excuse me, the qualifying Frenchman. But boy, did Berrettini play better against Andy Murray in round number three and ultimately was a 6-4, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3 win. Murray was lucky to escape with a set in that match because he was down at least love 30 in his first five service games of that third set. And, you know, again, Andy Murray is uniquely positioned 
to do some damage against Matteo Berrettini, his ability to take the return on the rise, take a little bit of time away from Berrettini, not allow him to, you know, run around a bumped return and find a first forehand. Murray also obviously drives the backhand so well and was able to keep Berrettini honest by playing his backhand down the line. I thought Andy Murray played a good match, and yet it was so clear Matteo Berrettini was in control of that match from the start with his serve, with his forehand. He just looked like he had a re- gained his form. And obviously, you know, best of three hard court matches still aren't Berrettini's forte. He's under 500 in his career. I believe he's 34 and 38 overall in best of three hard court matches. Loses to Tiafo and Carreño Busta, first rounds of Canada and Cincinnati, respectively. And yet that's two out of three sets. Three out of five, completely different ball game. You look for Matteo Berrettini in his career at hard court slams. He is now 27 and 10 overall. And I, you know, he lost what five of his first eight matches. So he's 24 and five since losing five of those first eight. He's just a sure thing. You know what you're getting out of Matteo Berrettini and his opponent tomorrow, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, is perhaps the inverse of that. You look for Davidovich Fokina, who's 26 and 27 overall over the course of the last 52 weeks. Now, obviously, he's had some runs, reaches the quarterfinals of Wimbledon last season. And you look at what he's been able to do this year, making the, uh, or making, I suppose, some nifty uh, runs, whether it be Monte Carlo, where he makes the final there, whether it was, you know, for him now, obviously getting to the fourth round here at the U.S. Open. We know what Davidovich Fokina is capable of when he's playing his best tennis. I mean, you look for Davidovich Fokina. It's his third, fourth round at a major in his career. He reached fourth round U.S. Open back in 2020. Quarterfinals Roland Garros last year. Now fourth round U.S. Open this season. You know, Davidovich Fokina is a guy who can do a little bit of everything, whose plan B, C, and D are obviously all extraordinary. He's also breaking serve 26.7% of the time this season, which is a top 20 number on the ATP Tour. But what is plan A for Davidovich Fokina? Yeah, he can hit the serve plus one. Yeah, he is a comfortable volleyer who's explosive enough from the baseline to beat you to the net. And then, you know, he is comfortable making the first volley, comfortable hitting the overhead because of his athleticism. He can play some defense as well. But does he have the discipline that one needs to have point in, point out to face the relentless plus one aggression of Matteo Berrettini. Of course, Berrettini holding 89.1% of the time this season. That ranks fifth on the ATP Tour. You know what you're getting with Matteo Berrettini. And with all due respect, given the vacillations in Davidovich Fokina's levels and Davidovich Fokina, five-set win over Fucevic, four-set win over Galan in his last two matches, but he spent over five hours on court uh, over the course of the past four days. I don't think Davidovich Fokina has the discipline. I do think he has some firepower to make Berrettini uncomfortable, to hang with Berrettini in the early stages of this match. And if he steals a set, that's not going to shock me. But Berrettini is clicking now on all cylinders. And as we've seen over the course of the past three years, when he is clicking, his you know he is the litmus test, the gateway into becoming a top 10 player. If you do not have top 10 skills, whether it be top 10 physicality, a top 10 serve, top 10 backhand, whatever it may be, if you don't have the discipline to execute that top 10 skill over the course of a three out of five set match, you're just not beating Matteo Berrettini regardless of surface. And while Davidovich Fokina has a lot of skills he can throw at Berrettini, I don't think he has the discipline to last 
the five sets that would be required to beat Berrettini. I also, again, think coming off of two tough matches, it could be a tight 7-6 first set. Berrettini takes it, and then it's lopsided the rest of the way. As such... I not only like Matteo Berrettini to win tomorrow, and for the record, he's minus 270, which is juicy to throw in a parlay. Maybe you throw him in late night with, you know, Ohio State over Notre Dame in football, whatever it is you see fit. Berrettini minus 270 over Davidovich Fokina is not enough value to bet on him singularly on a money line that is in the parlay zone. But let's take his game spread. And you can get Berrettini minus four and a half games tomorrow, which is a straight set victory. And yeah, he's going to have to win a set bigger than 7-6. But again, I could see that first set being tight. And then Davidovich Fokina with some physical issues with, again, the amount of tennis he's played over the course of the past two rounds just sort of wearing on him, and it's lopsided the rest of the way. As such, I like that four-and-a-half game spread, which really is just a Berrettini straight set victory. And if you're telling me I need Berrettini to win in straight sets and it's minus 115 odds— I like my odds there. I like my chances. And even if Berrettini loses a set, you know, Berrettini doesn't lose 6-1 sets. If he loses them, they're 7-6 or 7-5. He's broken once maximum per set because, again, of the consistency of that serve in forehand. Three out of five sets, I like the four and a half games. We'll put the full 1.15 units on it to win one unit in return. That is ace of the day, number one. And according to the draft, uh, excuse me, the tennis abstract singles forecast, Matteo Berrettini, 78.2% favorite. Again, a minus 270 favorite on the money line. We'll take the minus four and a half games at minus 115 and snag the extra value. With that said, ace of the day two, a little money line game spread part on a couple of women's matches. Let's start with 18-year-old Coco Goff, who, of course, by reaching the fourth round of the U.S. Open, has now reached the fourth round at all four majors already in her career in singles. That's not even including her doubles success. Again, to do that at 18 years old, there's maybe 15 players on the WTA Tour who have done that throughout the course of their careers. And, you know, as you look for Coco Goff, do I think she's in the transcendent Celis, Hingis, Serena, Maria Sharapova, teenager Mount Rushmore yet on the WTA Tour? No, she's not quite there yet. She's not quite on that pace, but she's on that next tier. She's floating around with Venus and Justine Ennin and the Kim Kleisters of the world. That's how good Coco Goff has been this early in her career statistically. Obviously, you look for Goff this season. She's just gotten a little bit better at everything. You look for Goff. She's winning two-thirds of her first serve points, 46.5% of her second serve points. That's second serve number, a percent and a half up on her career average and a rise from last season. She's also breaking serve over her career average, even if she is still slightly, you know, she's breaking serve 35.8%, the average of a top 50 player, 36.2%. So that forehand return has come along. The serve continues to be an elite weapon and separate itself with her continued efficiency in her plus one game. And the big thing for Coco Goff, for her this early in her career to be as efficient against lower ranked players, players she's quotation marks supposed to beat this early in her career, she does what she's supposed to do. Coco Goff now 28 and 7 overall against players ranked outside the top 20 this season. She's 10 and 2 
at the slams this year and you know she loses her first round match at the Australian Open since then 10 and one obviously beat five players ranked outside excuse me six players ranked outside the top 20 to get to the Roland Garros final but she beat them all in straight sets and did exactly what she was supposed to do and in fact all 10 of Coco Goff's 10 victories this year at the slams against players ranked outside the top 20 have been in straight sets the closest match oh excuse me she beat Rusa in three sets in the Wimbledon first round, but outside of that, nine of the 10 wins have been in straight sets, and the closest of those straight set matches, a 6-2-7-6 victory over Rusa in the second round of this year's U.S. Open, so I suppose Rusa is a uniquely difficult opponent for Coco Goff, but you look for Goff again. She's just been rock solid all year long. 33 and 16 overall in the year, winning two thirds of her matches. You look for Coco Goff in the points race. She's currently sitting at fifth in that points race. She's ninth in the live rankings, which would be a career high for her. And, you know, into another fourth round of a major where she is now feeling comfortable at this point of her career. And you look for her opponent tomorrow, Jung Shui. Jung Shui is very good, but Jung Shui doesn't do anything elite to really knock Goff off track. And you look for Jung Shui, who, again, has had a really good season. She's up to 36 in the rankings, which 33 years old. That's pretty clean living. You look for her overall this season. Jung Shui, 31 and 22 overall on the year. She's made five total quarterfinals overall on the season. You look for her now by reaching uh, the round of 16 here at Wimbledon, uh, excuse me, at the U.S. Open. Shows you where my brain is right now, but for Jung Shui. It's now her fourth round of 16 at a major in her career. And by the way, she also just completed the quad trick of reaching the fourth round at all four majors. Took her till age 33, but, you know, Coco Goff able to do it by age 18 speaks to her excellence. But for Jung Shui, now into the fourth round at the U.S. Open for the first time in her career. Look again, Jung Shui's rock solid. She holds serve. 68.6% of the time, which is 1.7% below the average of a top 50 player. She breaks serve 32% of the time, which is, again, 4.2% below the average of a top 50 player. There's not an elite skill for Jung Shui. She's very much in the, you know, Alexandra Sasnovich sort of camp, the Jessica Pagula 0.75 camp of, I can do everything pretty well, but I don't do anything spectacularly I think you got to do something spectacularly to beat Coco Goff right now because did you see her straight set victory over Madison Keys? How in control she was of her forehand, even against the elite power that Madison Keys presents. Coco Goss brought her best stuff, and she gets better and better with every match she plays. It's not the same Coco Goff we saw lose to Wang Chung first round of the Australian Open. You have to have some juice, some weapons to knock off Coco Goff. And while, again, I think Jung Shui drives the ball well, she's willing to move forward. She can do things to make Goff uncomfortable. She can't do anything to overwhelm Coco Goff. And I just think if you give Goff time, her forehand becomes that much more lethal. Obviously, the backhand has always been elite. She has elite defensive skills and she gets better and better 
behind that first serve with every passing match. Again, I think Goff's athleticism, is her serve are the two biggest weapons on the court. I also think her defensive skills are better than Jung Shui's. Coco Goff is a little bit better at everything than Jung Shui in that matchup tomorrow. And she doesn't even have the experience edge in fourth round matches, despite, again, the 15-year gap in the age between the two players. Give me Coco Goff to advance comfortably tomorrow. Of course, you look at the tennis abstract draft forecast. They also lean Goff's way. And for what it's worth, again, Goff 28-7 against players ranked outside the top 20 this year, 10-2 and two at the majors. You look for Jung Shui in her career against opponents ranked outside the top 20, uh, excuse me, top 20 opponents. Jung Shui 20-66 and 66 in her career against top 20 opponents, 7-18 and 18 against top 20 opponents at the slam. So give me Coco Goff to advance. You look for Coco Goff, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. She's a 77.1% favorite. You look, according to the DraftKings Money Line, Coco Goff, a significant favorite in the match lines, minus 340. Again, much like Matteo Berrettini, that's far too juicy. You can get that down to minus 165 if you take the game spread, which is Coco Goff minus three and a half games. Again, that's a straight set victory. Nine of her 10 victories against opponents ranked outside the top 20 at slams this year have been straight set victories. And she already vanquished the one player to get a set off of her, Elena Gabriela Russa, in straight sets in this event. Give me Goff to earn another straight set victory, get to another Grand Slam quarterfinal, and to do it in straight sets as well. We'll take the Goff game spread to extract that extra value. We'll take Coco Goff minus three and a half games tomorrow uh, to knock out her opponent, of course, uh, Jung Shui. Uh, But it's going to be a fun match, and certainly we're locked in for that. One. And again, minus 165 is a little juicy. So you're asking, Alex, what are you going to parlay it with? Well, how about the player who's delivered us the most goods so far in this event? That's Ludmilla Samsonova. We've been on the Samsonova bandwagon from the start. I got the chance to watch her five victories in under six hours in Cleveland as, you know, courtside as the MC. The pace of her ball. The steadiness of her first serve, how overwhelming it can be. She served poorly against Alexandra Krunic and still won her third round match 6-3, 6-3. Now, look, Ila Tamjanovic is a tough opponent. Tamjanovic coming in hot and confident after knocking out Serena Williams, but Tamjanovic just doesn't have the weapon to hurt Samsonova with. And of course, Samsonova already beat Tomjanovic three sets at the City Open. You look for Tomjanovic 3-13 in her career against top fifty uh, top 20 opponents at the Slams, 11-26, uh, excuse me, against top 50 opponents at the Slams. She beats who she's supposed to beat, but when you come up against an elite power tennis player like Ludmilla Samsonova, that's where Tomjanovic's inability to create from the center of the court and really do things to make Samsonova uncomfortable. The match is on Samsonova's racket, and just a reminder of the stats Samsonova has put up lately. She's won 13 consecutive matches. She's won 26 of her last 28 sets. She's lost just 26 games in her eight victories against opponents ranked outside the top 50. I mean, the forehand, the backhand, the serve, all advantage Samsonova. 
recent form advantage Samsonova. You want to say experience edge Tomjanovic, fine, but confidence edge Samsonova might be the only player in the draw who, alongside with Caroline Garcia, who can match Tomjanovic's confidence right now. Because again, Samsonova has won 13 consecutive matches, and now she doesn't have to play on center court against Serena Williams and 25,000 people. Now she gets to play on Armstrong and be, you know, on the back courts, just continuing to sort of cruise along and do her business. I just think the power tennis and the consistency of Samsonova of late, she's got the bigger weapons. I think she's as fit as Isla Tamjanovic, who usually her consistency and that longevity is what separates her from opponents. But I just think it doesn't separate her against this version of Ludmilla Samsonova. And so give me Samsonova to advance in this match. Now, we could take the game spread. Samsonova minus two and a half games, which is a straight set victory, minus 145. But Tamjanovic is such a fighter, and to beat Serena the way she did, she's going to come out of the gates hot, and, you know, Samsonova did not serve particularly well in her third-round match. I'm going to respect Tamjanovic too much to take the game spread, but Samsonova, 59% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, minus 225 money line, uh, according to DraftKings. Let's roll with the money line. We'll take Samsonova to just win the match over Tamjanovic. Even if there's a bout of inconsistency, we'll take the relentless power of Samsonova, her confidence to win out, and we're going to parlay that with that Coco Golf straight set victory. So you take the Samsonova money line, minus 225 parlay that with Coco Goff minus 135 uh, excuse me minus 165 you get plus 131 odds plus odds on Goff to win in straight sets and Samsonova to win that sounds like a valuable proposition to me we're going to put half a unit on it since it is a parlay but half a unit on it to win 0.65 in return those are my two aces of the day now Eight singles matches overall on day seven of this event. Let's run through the rest of the day's board. You look at our four women's matches. They're all enticing. Caroline Garcia, the most lopsided favorite of the bunch. She's minus 450 tomorrow against Allison Risk. Risk needs two three-set victories to get to round number four. And while they were both impressive, particularly her victory over the lefty and talented 21-year-old Chinese player Wang Shiyu, but it's been too tight, narrow. You know, she beat Kami Asorio in round two as well. Two tight victories for Ali Risk. Two physical matches as well. And now you're going to face the relentless power of Caroline Garcia, who is hitting returns from the service line against Bianca Andrescu and beats Andrescu, what, three and two? And, you know, has won 10, 11 straight. I think it's 11 straight matches now, which is tied for the, what, fourth longest win streak on the WTA Tour this season. Caroline Garcia's in form. Her weapons may, particularly that serve, overwhelm the extended backswing of the alley risk forehand. It's just a good matchup for Caroline Garcia, who's fresher, more confident, and has the bigger weapons. Give me Garcia to advance again, minus 450 favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings. Only 58.3%, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. So, they like some value, Tennis Abstract does, 
in alley risk. And if you want to take the over in that match, over two and a half sets, uh, plus 140, uh, excuse me, plus 155. So there's some value there. Uh, the other women's match on the day is a toss-up that I want no part of. Jabour, Kudermatova, minus 110, even odds across the board according to DraftKings. Now the over two and a half sets is plus 120. I like that the most. Jabour, a 66% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Jabour, second in the points race. Kudermatova, ninth in the points race right now. The biggest weapon on the court belongs to Veronica Kudermatova, who serve in plus one forehand, have been relentless. She's yet to drop a set, yet to drop a service game. In her three victories in New York, she reached the quarterfinals, of course, at the French Open earlier this season. So she has some familiarity with the later stages of a slam this year. And look, she plays the sort of power tennis that, as we saw with Shelby Rogers against Jabur in round number three, can give Own some troubles because Kudermatova's serve and her relentlessness in going after the plus one forehand, you know, every time Own Jabur chips a, a slice return back in play, Kudermatova's going after that ball the same way Shelby Rogers did. And even if Kudermatova misses that plus one forehand, she's preventing Jabur from playing the angles, taking the ball early on the rise, beating her to the spot. Jabur's going to have to serve better than she did against Shelby Rogers because Kudermatova has been more consistent on her own serve and more consistent with her plus one forehand than Shelby has been this season. Again, it's it's not too dissimilar of a matchup. Kudermatova moves a little bit better than Shelby. Shelby a little little bit cleaner on the return of serve than Kudermatova, but it's a very similar matchup. And we we just saw this power tennis give Jabur problems in round number three. That said, this is a far tougher test for Kudermatova than she's faced so far this slam. And, you know, Jabur does play, have a big enough first serve that I do expect the return errors to pile up for Kudermatova. Jabur does play with slice and angle that will get the ball out of Kudermatova's strike zone. And while she's a good mover. She sprays so much more frequently when she's pushed into the outer thirds. Again, if I'm betting on this match, I'm taking over two and a half sets at plus 120. If you're asking me who I think is going to win it, Jabur by the slightest of margins, just because she just saw this game style. And it's, again, she'll be ready and be efficient from the start. And for Kudermatova, it's certainly a jump in level. And I think if Jabur comes out hot, Kudermatova is a player who will certainly get frustrated with herself and will see her level dip a bit. I'll lean Jabur in three sets, but I'm staying away from that match and, you know, again, kicking my feet up and certainly just enjoying it as a fan. But with that said, again, you've got three other men's matches for me to touch on quickly. All certainly enjoyable. Let's start with the blockbuster. Daniil Medvedev from minus 175. He's moved up to minus 205 tomorrow. In his matchup against Nick Kyrgios, you look according to Tennis Abstract, Daniil Medvedev, a 60.7% favorite uh, to knock out Kyrgios tomorrow. Of course, Kyrgios just beat Medvedev. Medvedev in Canada, but three out of five sets, a a completely different beast as we saw earlier this year in Australia when Medvedev was able to knock out Kyrgios in a four-set second-round battle. But of course, it's a completely different Nick Kyrgios at this stage of the season. Kyrgios is in better shape than simply put he's ever been in his career. And he's played 43 matches this season, 34-9 overall. And just to play that much tennis, to force himself to be on the court for that long, it's gotten him in better shape. And we've always seen the athleticism, the defensive skills coupled with that 
undeniable talent on the serve and the plus one forehand, the willingness to move forward. But when you match the fitness for him to show off the rest of his skill set, this is why his talent has always been so enticing because now he's just at a level physically where, again, that talent can manifest itself and Buckle your seatbelts, folks. This is your popcorn match. Do not gamble on this match unless you're taking the over 40 and a half games at minus 130. And that's just a lot of games, right? It could be 7-6-7-6-7-6 and 40 and a half games doesn't cover. I'm not betting on this match. Again, Medvedev's in the parlay zone at minus 205. You could bet the Kyrgios plus 145 money line and hope he wins the first set. Then live bet Medvedev as an underdog. Kick your feet up. Enjoy the match. Having plus odds on both. If I I was going to wager. That would be my strategy. Bet the Kyrgios money line. Pray he wins the first set. Medvedev becomes an underdog. Then live bet the other way and stay away from the gambling. Uh, but I'm watching this match as an analyst first and foremost because I'm fascinated to see how this one between two of the top five contenders, according to the odds, according to the percentages, according to our eyes, uh, how, between two of the top five contenders in the draw. No doubt about that. I would lean... Man, that's tough. I mean, I'm going to lean Medvedev because it is three out of five sets because he has served well through his first three matches because he did just lose that match in Toronto. And, you know, again, Kyrgios serves in volleys, which takes advantage of Medvedev's return positioning because if Medvedev's going to see the entire 12 feet between the baseline and the back fence to you, take time away, move forward. All you really got to do is make that volley. And did, because Medvedev's then on the full sprint, either A, he's going to hit some sort of miraculous return winner or you know B, he is going to come up with magic and there's nothing you can do about that. He is world number one for a reason. And so again, I am leaning... Daniil Medvedev, but I don't feel good about it. I'm staying away from that match no matter what. I'm staying away from Hatchinov, Cranio Busta as well. Hatchinov, a plus 190 underdog. Cranio Busta, minus 235. According to Tennis Abstract, Cranio Busta, 63.3% favorite. You can understand why. He beats Demonauer in four sets in round number three. He wins the title in Canada. Meanwhile, Hatchinov all over the place despite advancing with a retirement due to injury over Jack Draper in round three. And yet, I'm always enticed by underdog Karen Hatchinov. Never as a favorite, always as an underdog when he's just a little bit more free to hit the big first serve, hit the big first forehand. Of course, that inside-out forehand of Cranio Busta, which is his most effective ball, sits right up in the six foot six Hatchinov strike zone. And because Cranio Busta puts so much topspin on that forehand, Hatchinov, you know, who plays a little flatter on that backhand side, well, Cranio Busta is providing him the topspin to keep his ball down. I think the Hatchinov serve is big enough, the plus one forehand heavy enough that it will, on a quicker surface, will get into the backswing of Cranio Busta on that forehand wing. That said, Cranio Busta is clearly playing the better of the two players. And even though Cranio Busta wore down physically at the end of that Demon Hour match, he still escaped in four sets. If I was making, you know what, I'm going to take Karen Hatchinoff to win tomorrow. I don't feel great about it, even saying those words out loud, but I would take him plus 190, pray he wins the first set, live bet the other way. I would take probably him at the plus five and a half game spread, minus 120, but I'm staying the hell away from that match from a gambling perspective because two players, Cranio Busta and Hatchinov, I feel like I always end up getting wrong, and then... 
you know, you've obviously got Davidovich Fokina versus uh, Berrettini, which as I'm, uh, excuse me, you've got Kasper Ruud versus Quarantine Mute. Kasper minus 525 favored. You get him minus five and a half games at minus 165. But Mute is a lefty. Lefties to the Ruud backhand can create problems when they execute their best. Now, does Mute have the juice firepower at from the serve or ground stroke level to really push that Kasper Ruud backhand? I don't think so. But he is coming off of a physical five-set match against Tommy Paul. So I think Casper wins comfortably. I'm going to stay away from it from a gambling perspective. In terms of the other things, you know, I've said this now for a couple of rounds. and I think I said this three days ago. Iga plus 225 to win the tournament. Or you could bet on the five most likely players outside of Ego, which are Garcia, Goff, Samsonova, Sabalenka, and Jabur, in my mind, all of them greater than plus 500 odds. So if you place the unit on each of Garcia, Goff, Samsonova, Sabalenka, and Jabur to win, and one of them does, it covers all the rest of your wagers. And again, Samsonova 10 to 1. Mm, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Of course, Garcia Goff, I think most likely to win quarter number three, plus 110, plus 125. You could get a little value betting both. Uh, On the men's side, Medvedev plus 175 feels like a pretty good wager. If you feel the other way, Kyrgios plus 600. Maybe you bet both right now. So regardless of what happens in the fourth round, you're still in the ball game. Nadal plus 350. Alcaraz plus 400. If I had to take anyone else, it would probably be Sinner 13 to 1 and then Cam Nori, who it just Cam Nori did up in a victory over Holger Runa on Saturday to advance to round number four. Nori 20 to 1 odds. That is certainly enticing. But with that said, that's your look at day number seven of the 2022 U.S. Open. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, editing all of our content. Of course, we recap every day of the year's final slam over on our mini break podcast feed. You can find that wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackrackets.com. Shout out to our friends at DraftKings as well. Remember, use the promo code AOD, bet $1, get $100 in free bets. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Enjoy day seven, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 